We've been starting this new series. Why can't I? Why can't I stop? Why can't I start? What can I change? Why can't I forgive? We're just looking for the Lord's help. Paul taught us. He said, you know, I just don't understand what I do sometimes. I don't understand what's going on in my heart, in my life. I don't understand. I want to do what's right. I don't seem to do what's right. Why can't I stop? I want to, I want to be free of all the things that I want to leave behind me. They call it besetting sins, the things that so easily entangle us. Why can't I stop? Why can't I start? Why can't I become the man God has called me to be? And so we've been talking about, we've been talking about, Lord, would you come into my life? Would you not only be the one who saves my soul, but would you be the one who changes my life to stop what needs to be stopped, to start what needs to start to change what I just can't change? And we've been taking the fruit of the Spirit the love and the joy and the peace, say it with me, the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and inviting the Lord to begin sowing those things deep into the, deep into the heart of our lives. Lord, you come and do what only you can do in our lives. Three big things that kind of drive the heart of this series. Three big things, just this idea that I'm just not able to bring about the changes that I want to bring in my life. I wish I was disciplined enough. I wish I was, I wish I was smart enough. I wish I was tenacious enough. I wish I could pull it off, but I can't seem to pull it off. My inability to change or my, my deep desire for life to be different. If I could just grow accustomed to the mess that my life is, if I could just, if I could just decide and be okay with the idea that this is all there is, this is as good as it gets. Trouble is, even if you could convince yourself that this is just as good as it gets, when the person who's most important in your life decides this far, no further, I can't go on like that. All of a sudden, staying the same, the price for staying the same becomes so much greater than the price of change, right? My inability to change, my deep desire for life to be different and my desperate need for God's help. God, I just can't do it. When I came to a place in my life and I realized I just can't do this on my own, the Lord planted a verse in my heart. It was Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet, not I, but Christ lives in me, the idea the idea that what I can't do, Jesus Christ could do through me if only I would let him. If only I would let him. And, and that brings me to this idea that if you start with the what, the behavior change that needs to happen in your life, if I could just stop these behaviors, if I could just start these behaviors, if I could bring about the change in my life, if it could, if it could present to the world as being right and good and proper and appropriate, maybe I could find peace. But behavior is not enough. You know how I know? Because even when you can pull off the right behaviors, it doesn't necessarily calm your heart. Have you noticed? And even when you can pull off the right behaviors for a while, there's this house of cards that gets built up. If you could string together a good day and another and a week or even a month, there's this, there's this angst that grows up in you that says, when is it all going to come crashing down? 
Because if all you address are the behaviors, you've not brought about any real change. So you can't just start. You can't just start with what, and you can't even start with the why. What's the motivation? What is it that's driving me to bring about change in my life? What is it? That's, is there someone who's threatening me? If you don't change, I'm out of here. Is there, is it, what's driving this need to change? You can't just start with the motivation either because the motivation goes away at some point. Behaviors don't bring about real change. Motivations come and go. You got to start with the who. You got to start with the identity. Who has God made you to be? The Bible says God set eternity in our hearts. There's something in you that knows you were made for more than this, whatever this is. There's something in you that's not willing to settle for business as usual, life as it is, the mess that you find yourself in in the moment. Good news, one of God's specialties is the great exchange. The great exchange. Let me read this to you. It's from, it's from Isaiah chapter 61. It's the place Jesus turned when he was describing what he came to do, what he came to facilitate in this world. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. By the way, I don't care how much you've got in your pocket. I don't care how much you've got in your bank account. Everybody's broke at some level. And when it says good news to the poor, that's good news for you. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. And no matter how well put together your life looks, I know and you know you carry around some baggage and some brokenness. And he says, I'm here to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to hear God say to your heart, to my heart, you are loved. You are wanted. You matter to me. And then he says this, he says, I have come to provide, to bestow on them a crown of beauty in exchange for the ashes of their soul. I have come, I've come to provide the oil of joy instead of mourning. I have come to bring a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness or despair. God brings about the great exchange. One of the best, one of the best verses I know of, a, a huge part of my personal theology is when Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. Great exchange. The new has come. The old, the old habits and hurts and addictions, the old is gone. The previous chapters of your life that you thought disqualified you from ever knowing happiness, ever knowing peace, ever knowing that you're loved, the old is gone and the new has come. The new has come and there's another one just a few verses over in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. God's specialty is the great exchange. Let me show you what I mean by that. When you take it to, when you take it to Galatians chapter 5, when you take it to the fruit of the Spirit, 
When you take it to that place where it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. When you take it there, and you realize it's not just talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Praise God for the gifts of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is the naturally occurring result of the presence of God in your life. I mean, the gifts of the Spirit that God brings to your life, praise God for the, for the kinds of things that God says, oh, you're going to love this. And he, he gives you a gift of giving. Or he says, you're going to love this. And he hangs on your life a, a gift of knowledge or a gift of leading or a gift of teaching. Or a, and, and God says, you're going to love this. But there's a difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, the thing that just naturally grows out of a life like Bryce read about that abides in Christ, where the roots go deep in the soil and the life of Christ flows up in you. There are natural results that come from that. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the goodness, the kindness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, the things that God brings about in you. In fact, I think I'm onto something here. I want us to spend the next couple of weeks looking at this together because I think, I think if you could look at it first at that inner core of who you are, the things that God places in you, the gifts that God gives you that you can't manufacture, the love and the joy and the peace. Lord, could I just live out of this settled sense of love and joy and peace and the acceptance that only you can give. Not earned, not merited, Lord, but just what you grow up in my life. Those are the gifts that God gives to us. And the next ring out, the patience and the goodness and the kindness, those are the gifts that we give to one another. Those are the gifts that I give to my wife when I, when I become a man of patience, when I live my life and my relationship with her in patience or not. When I live my life, when I live my life from a source of goodness and, and, I, and I receive from her and I offer to my kids this good-hearted willingness to receive. It's a gift I give to the people around me that I love and I care about. The, the patience and the goodness and the kindness. I mean, that's what Paul talked about when he said, love is patient and it's kind. It doesn't envy and it doesn't boast, right? And then the outer ring, the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control. Those are the gifts that I give to myself when I make the choice to be a man of faithfulness. You knew that was your choice, didn't you? You knew that you, got to, you had the opportunity to choose, right? Whether to be a person of faithfulness or not. It's up to you to choose, right? Whether to be a, a person of gentleness or to come across with this harshness and this bitterness. It's your choice. You, you knew that, right? You knew that, right? That it was your choice to take your life by the horns. You knew it was your choice to live with self-control. Or not, you knew that was your choice, didn't you? There's the gifts that God gives to us. There's the gifts that we give to the people we love. And there's the gifts we give back to ourselves to become the people God has called us to be. Let me give you an example of it. Let me give you an example of God doing what only God can do in your life. God bringing about a great exchange in you. In Luke chapter 7, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus 
recounts a story, recounts an event during his ministry. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And there was a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. And she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood there behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. And she kissed them and she poured perfume on them. Now, I don't want you to think for one minute that in Jesus' day, this was a common occurrence. It wasn't. This was a special moment. This was, this was a holy moment that grew out of somebody whose heart was so full that it overflowed. It was unique. It was special. But it was also brutally misconstrued by the people who witnessed it as some of the more holy moments of your life have been misconstrued. The Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she is a sinner. This guy has become the judge and the jury, and he has pronounced the verdict over this woman. All he knows of her is what he's seen. All he knows is what has been. What he doesn't know is what God is at work to do in this woman's heart. (laughs) But be careful around Jesus. You don't even have to say it out loud. You can think it in your heart and he will have your cards, right? True? You ever had one of those times you're just thinking it in your heart, but it's like God is reading your mail? And Jesus asked the man, Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. He says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 and the other 50. Now, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? And Simon answers the question. It's a simple question. It's an obvious question. The answer is obvious, right? The one who was forgiven much would love much. Jesus said, you're right. You're absolutely right. By the way, Simon, when I came in here, when I came in here, uh, you didn't give me any water for my feet, but this woman has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins, forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whomever has been forgiven little, loves little. Great exchange. A great exchange. Forgiven much, love much. I was spending some time out by the septic pond this morning. And I was talking to the Lord about this passage and I was thinking about that forgiven much, loves much, forgiven little, loves little kind of evaluation. And you know what struck me? What struck me is it's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of whether you're seeing it from below or seeing it from above. It's not a question of whether I've been worse than you or you've been worse than me. It's not a question of how many sins have been forgiven. The fact is my sins have been forgiven to the uttermost and so have yours. My sins have been forgiven in their entirety, and so have yours. It's not a question of who's been forgiven more or who's been forgiven less. The question is, do I know how much I've been forgiven of? 
Do I know what it costs for my soul to be saved, for my sins to be forgiven? Am I aware? And if I'm aware, can't I pour my heart out until I empty my heart of all the brokenness and I empty my heart of all the, all the bitterness and I empty my heart of all the... And allow the Lord to fill it back up with what only he can fill it up with, I began to ask the question, does it work the same love, joy, peace? Does it work the same? You know, forgiven much, loves much. Jesus quoted from Isaiah 61 where he said, I came to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy in exchange for mourning. Maybe it works the same that the one who has lost a lot, the great exchange brings joy in place of the sadness. Maybe the great exchange works the same way. If only I could bring my sorrow and my mourning and my grieving to the only one who can comfort my soul. Maybe many griefs, much joy. Maybe much suffering. I've heard the stories lately, haven't you? Places where the war has torn. Places where the brokenness and the brittleness of the world and shooters and envious and broken people do broken things and much suffering can either drive people from the comfort that only comes through Jesus or much suffering can actually draw one's heart to peace. You get to choose. You get to choose. I want to invite you into the words, the love and the joy and the peace because they're not just the simple words of love and joy and peace that occupy our English language. I want to invite you into this heart, this heart of, of a love a love that goes so much deeper than warm, fuzzy feelings and nice, warm hugs. The love that's talked about there. If you were reading it in Hebrew, it would be the word hesed. It's a word of tender mercies. It's a word of covenant faithfulness. It's a word of love that keeps loving even when the love is not returned. It's the kind of love, frankly, that only God is capable of until he places that capacity in you. It's the kind of love that took Jesus all the way to the cross for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's an agape love that lays itself down, a love that loves to death. That's the kind of love. The joy the joy, the Greek word is the word kara. It's a word of, it's a word of abiding in Christ. It's a word, it's a word that goes beyond a momentary happiness. It's a word that goes so much deeper. In fact, you know that line when Paul says, a, a peace that passes understanding. It's a kind of joy that doesn't even make sense given your current circumstances and where you find yourself. But it's not just the word kara, joy. It, it, the word grace grows out of it. Charis grows right out of the word joy. It's the kind of change that comes about when you've been on the receiving end of the grace of God that loved you 
even when you were dead in trespasses and sins, and made you alive together in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of joy that's being talked about here. And then it goes even a step beyond that. and says grace brings gifts with it. You may have heard the word charismatic. The charismata of God are the gifts that God brings and bestows on your life. The kind of gift that wells up in you like a spring of living water and flows out. The grace, the joy, the gifts that God brings. And then the peace, the shalom of God. The shalom of God that takes all the troubled waters of your soul. All the mixed up, jumbled up, messed up parts of your life and begins to just rest over you with peace. Yesterday, I was out, I was out with my horse. I'm riding along and I was thinking about that old little chorus we used to sing sometimes, you know. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. And I was thinking about this time together. And I thought, wait a minute, Lord. You love me. You love me, Lord. And you lift your voice to rejoice over me with singing. You love me, Lord. And your banner over me is love. You love me, Lord, and you're jealous for me, Lord. And you hold my heart in your hands. So what if today could be a day for you to say, Lord, in Jesus' name, bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute. What if today could be a day for you to say, Lord, would you bring about in me this great exchange? Father, I know what it is to go to dry wells and look for water. But Lord, in Jesus' name, would you plant love deep in my heart? Lord, in Jesus' name, I know what it is to live a life of fear, a life of confusion. Lord, could you bring up in me a life of joy in place of that? Lord, I know what it is. I know what it is to live unsettled and afraid. Lord, could you, would you, bring up in my life, would you bubble up from deep in the ground table, ground water tables of my life, would you bubble up a peace that passes understanding that would guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus?